Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Fern Gully. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? Fern Gully, colon, The Last Rainforest, <laughs> is a 1992 movie directed by Bill Croyer and written by Jim Cox. Adapted from a book of the same name by Diana Young. It is produced by Croyer Films and it was distributed by Fox. It stars the voices of Samantha Mathis, Jonathan Ward, Tim Curry, Christian Slater, Robin Williams, Cheech and Chong. Really? Yep. And Grace Zabersky. As well as a few others. Paul? What is the plot of Avatar? I mean, Ferngully. Ferngully, the last Avatar? No, I mean, like, it's like Avatar, the last, not the last Avatar. Oh, Avatar. The the... James Cameron movie. Yeah, a bit. Crystal, a magical fairy, lives in the magical rainforest, Ferngully, somewhere in Australia. It's not Crystal, it's Krista. Krista. Magical fairy Krista. She accidentally shrinks a human down to fairy size and from that perspective he learns to respect nature more and together they stop loggers and also the evil pollution monster Texas (laughs) and everyone lives happily ever after yes indeed Did I mention Tim Curry when I was going down that list of people who were in this? You did. Okay, good. Tim Curry plays the villain Hexus, and we'll get to him in a sec. But objectively, how good of a movie is Fern Gully? How good of a job? And I want to like, we've been talking to each other a little bit about our whole objectively portion of this show Mm -hmm. and how like, it's kind of a lie. It's impossible to be objective about the quality of art, right? We, We know that and we've been saying it to each other behind the scenes. But I just want to remind both of us and our listeners that we're doing our best not to judge the quality of the movie, but to judge the craft of the various people involved. Like, how good of an animation job are the animation people doing at the craft of what they're doing, and etc. How good of a job is everyone on this set, on this movie, doing, do you think? Well, let's let's start with the animation. Um, It's very, very... Of its time. It is, yes. This is 92. A Little Mermaid came out a few years ago. This is the same year that Aladdin came out. It is very... Uh, the faces... Everything looks kind of ripped off of Disney mm-hmm. to me. Um, it's... I don't know. It was. I don't know if it was the DVD that we watched or what it looked like in general. Pretty tv it does. Quality. It really does. I thought, you thought it looks like ripped off of Disney. What struck me is it looks to me like, uh, remember the cartoons of those days of like the MC Hammer cartoon <laughs> and the uh, Police Academy cartoon and the uh, Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky and Bo Jackson cartoon. Like <laughs> all those TV cartoons is what really this animation style reminded me of. The... Plants and backgrounds are a lot better than the characters. 
Agreed. Uh, the word that came to my mind is uneven. Mm-hmm. I yes. feel like the animation in this movie is very uneven. Yeah. Because when we started watching it, at the very beginning, the first, like, probably not more than 30 or 45 seconds, is in the, like, uh, Aboriginal Australian art style. Yeah, that was really cool. And at that moment, 30 seconds into the movie, I was like, whoa, the animation in this movie is way better than I remember. This is really interesting. And then it kind of abandons that. Mm-hmm. And there's a few shots of, like moments where they're like flying the fairies are flying among the plants and going through the stalks of the plants and it's really neat looking Mm -hmm. but they're few and far between yes and i totally agree that like it looks like as probably it was the set cell animation the top cell characters are animated by different people prob i don't know in this case but often it is the case not just different people but like different groups entirely Mm -hmm. from the backgrounds and the backgrounds i think are doing a much better job yeah than the foreground agreed what about the voice acting it was all fine i like tim curry in general Mm -hmm. i always like tim curry and i liked him as much here as i ever do honestly Mm -hmm. i thought jonathan ward as the main human as the human was like fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) you told me as we were watching it that aladdin came out like a couple months after this and robin williams you compare the two movies that came out in the same year with him in the voice acting role they're asking different stuff of him but like he shines as the genie and he does not particularly shine as batty really He he has a moment or two i don't think i don't think it's his fault i don't think they're using him to greatest effect I just read just now on Wikipedia that they hired him for like what was an eight minute role and he gave them 14 hours oh my of goodness. dialogue, of improvised dialogue that he, they could just choose from. The like, so he's, I felt like he's just basically exactly the genie. Like he just is Robin Williams as this bat. And I felt like he stole the movie. There was a lot of funny... He was the only funny part. He was the only the funny movie. part. I remember at the time he was like the breakout mascot character of the movie. Mm-hmm. That like they marketed the movie entirely around this character. Who is kind of a, a afterthought in terms of the plot. Not yeah. kind of. But like he he had by far the funniest parts of the movie and maybe the one true crack-up moment of the movie which is humans don't have tails they have big big bottoms that they wear with bad shorts they walk around going hi helen (laughs) that's genuinely funny Mm -hmm. but i felt like he was i can't help but compare it with aladdin when you know that they came out so close to each other Mm -hmm. and like i felt like this movie is holding him way back and Aladdin was like, go nuts. Yeah, that is also right? true. And so he's better when you give him a longer leash. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So what there was of him I enjoyed, but like, it felt like he was on, hearing that he had 14 hours and they picked and choose, like, is kind of surprising to me because it, the performance felt a little bit, felt quite a bit more restrained than his Aladdin performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may be right. 
but I don't dispute he's like a stand the standout performance of the movie. Yeah, it's everyone like else is of... meh to me. Yeah, and you have a lot of like weird camp. Like you have Christian Slater as the other the male fairy. You've got like random, uh, like Cheech and Chong and were they the uh, cassowaries? No, yes, they were. They were the cassowaries. Okay, because that was funny too. I thought for a second they were like the other fairies. The cassowaries were the other the funny moment, and yeah. they weren't nearly as funny as Batty, but they were kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I thought most of the voice performance, like Christian Slater, was really weird to me because he seems like uh, at at the time as much as now, like he seems like a very big name for a very small role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like a cameo. Yeah. More than an actual role. Yeah. Um, let's talk for a sec about the music. What do you have to say about the music? It's, I mean, there are some actual good songs in this, but it is like, uneven is the word for it. Yeah. Wow, is the music incredibly uneven in this movie. Yep. There are like, random, I mean, it's the early 90s, they are doing like, Fresh print style rap songs that were very uncomfortable. (laughs) The the rap that they, I assume they didn't make him, like knowing what, especially hearing that he gave them more than they asked for. Robin Williams's rap was painfully embarrassing. Painful. Oh, it just like ages this movie so much. It's just wow. I thought the lizard song of like, I might as, if I'm going to eat something, I might as well eat you was pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And from, and Batty's rap was just painful. Mm-hmm. And Tim Curry's song, I thought was, Hexus's song was well performed, but not a great song. Yeah, agreed. I felt that's the same thing I felt. It was like, that was really good because it was Tim Curry. Be doing his, his Tim all. Curry thing. <laughs> um then there was like a couple of like romantic songs and then thrown in there were like some cheesy pop songs. And they also have like, okay, they have, what's, what's the human's name? Zach leading them all in like the na, 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 na. And they all dance. And that's pretty like, that's pretty fun. That song is pretty great. And then they also have Raffi sing a song. Oh, yeah. So like, so uneven. Just random song choices. Yes. That some of them are bad, some of them are really good and fun, but, like, really all over the map. What, like, they were not thinking of a cohesive whole when they were picking these songs. Like, the na-na-na-na-na, it's a fun song, and that was a fun moment, but it was also a surreal moment. Yes, exactly. completely bizarre. So, also in terms of, like, plot and pacing... This movie had some, it was slow in the beginning and the climax came really fast and then was done. Yeah. They had no, there wasn't really a proper buildup to what the magical tree was that they saved themselves in at the end. And there was just like, the pacing was uneven. Every, every, everything about this movie, uneven is the word for it. Yeah, like, the solution at the end was very, very easy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, this is partly going to overlap with something I imagine we'll talk about in the way too seriously, but it was, like, as 
heavy-handed moralistic stories tend to be it was like they present a real problem and then solve it with unreal salute with simple facile solution yeah exactly and in storytelling terms that was a problem and mm-hmm. it's also a serious problem that we'll yeah. get to but it was like you just do by mm-hmm. magic because work together and believe in yourself and love is magic the end <laughs> like mm-hmm. what <laughs> yeah exactly so apart from the objective quality or lack thereof of this movie how much did you enjoy it not as much as i expected to mm-hmm. i remember being a kid this was like a popular movie when it came out yeah not in the way of a disney movie but like people were into it I remember actually being left a little cold by the message of it at the time. Hmm. Feeling at the time, I don't know how old, 92, so I would have been 10. Uh, I remember at the time feeling like it... (laughs) Frankly, if I could put into words what I felt at the time, I remember thinking it was uh, insufficiently propagandistic. (laughs) It tried to be propaganda, but didn't play enough on my emotions to work as propaganda. Mm, yeah. It wasn't that I felt manipulated. It was that I wish I'd been more manipulated. Yeah. And I still think that. Yeah. Like, it's it left me a little cold and still does. Mm-hmm. How about you? This is the first time I've seen this movie. I had heard a lot about it. Somehow, I did not see it as a kid when it came out. It just kind of passed me by. And... People have quoted things from it and I haven't recognized it in the past. And I was like, maybe I've seen it. I don't know. Watching it this time, I was like, nope, definitely have never seen this movie. I uh, I liked it fine. Like, I didn't... I have a lot of criticisms of it, but uh, there was a lot of fun parts. And I especially liked Robin Williams's quotes and the a few of the songs were really good. The songs that made sense, I guess, or just the songs that I liked were good. Yeah. But it is not aged well, sadly. I think that a lot of people look upon this movie with a lot of nostalgia, and I can totally see that. If I had watched this when I was like 11 or 10 or 11, I would have been totally into it. But since it passed me by and watching it now as an adult, I'm like, hmm, it's just not aged well. So there's a lot of, like, as you say, propaganda or lack thereof in this. So let's just get into the way Way too too serious portion of our episode. Let's do that. And I want to start with what this movie wants us to take seriously. The fact that there's no Australian accents? (laughs) If you want to start there, we can. (laughs) I just want to throw it out there. I had totally, absolutely forgotten this was an Australian, set in Australia, and even made in Australia. It's like in, like, Mount Warning, a real mountain in Australia, very famous. None of the characters have Australian accents, even the humans. Come on, people. The two cassowaries played by Cheech and Chong did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just had to, because it's serious, but also, like, a bit frivolous. So let's get into what you actually were saying there. Yeah, I mean... We can talk more about, because there is a little more to say about the lack of specificity in this movie is mm. part of, yeah, is connected to the problem, like, right? Like, 
no one has Australian accents because they have American accents. And we've covered that in a couple of other movies that like American movies for American movies with American audiences in mind tend to give all their characters American accents, except sometimes for the villain who gets to be Tim Curry with an English accent. Sort of. Does he have one in this movie? I do not. Recall. I don't remember. Um, but uh, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. It has a lot to do with American solipsism, honestly. But it's connected in this movie to like... I mean, Warning's a real place, but you... If you didn't... If you were an American child audience, you would not come out of this movie thinking this was a real place. Right? Yes, absolutely. This is a fantasy. You'd have world. to already know about it. And if you were the kind of American audience that uh, couldn't handle an Australian accent in a movie about Australia, you're the kind of American audience who hasn't heard of Mount Warren. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? True story. So they're like, one of the things I think that kneecaps the uh, success of this movie is the lack of specificity, is the like weird mix of unnecessary specificity and then a lack of it. Mm. That, like, what do you mean a, by that? It is trying to be about environmentalism in general, and it tries to do that. It's like what it tries to do is tell a story about environmentalism in general by telling a story specifically about clear-cut logging on Mount Warning. Mm -hmm. But then it's afraid that if it tells a story about clear-cut logging on Mount Warning, it won't resonate with people. So it backs off that specificity and just leaves like fragments of it behind mm, yeah and that weakens the whole story because now it isn't about the specific story and instead of strengthening the general message it weakens it right mm. you know what i mean absolutely if it was a completely fantasy world where everything was metaphorical it could be this story about environmentalism but because it's about logging specifically, uh, it is a little bit like, okay, well, I'm not a logger, so I'm fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, because it uh, backs off of the specificity that makes it seem, it, it makes it seem like it's no, there's no urgency, Right. Right. There's yeah. so much specificity that it doesn't feel like it's talking to me or making me have any responsibility. As an audience member, I watch it and don't feel like I'm responsible, like it's calling for me to do anything because I'm not a logger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the same time, it doesn't have enough specificity to feel urgent. Like if you had a story about how clear cut logging around Mount Warning in Australia is causing uh, extinction of this animal that I care a lot about, you know, that like you make me love this one animal and then its home is uh, endangered and it's a real animal that's really somewhere and then kids come out of that being like, we need to stop clear-cut logging in Mount Warning, like Yeah, I can see what you mean by that But it's neither Yeah, It's neither, it's too specific for me to be overly moved and it's not specific enough to be a specific call to action and so i think as propaganda it fails you know what i mean and adding to that it has like we said earlier a magical ending 
It has, and it cops out with having a magical reason too. There's this, oh, we trapped this spirit in this tree, this evil thing, and then it gets free and is the reason for the destruction of the rainforest, even though there's also the clear-cut loggers there. Yep. So it's like they want to say things but are too uh, timid to actually say them. They have the uh, fake monster so that they can defeat something instead of defeating the humans. They have the magical tree that they can all just retreat into. Mm-hmm. They stop, and and especially, I came to the ending of this going, okay, they stopped this one truck yep. and these three guys. That's not the entire operation. That's not the entire human race. That's not the company that is doing this. And there's some They very, have done exactly nothing. There's some very vague, like, Zach is going off into the world to tell everyone... But right. at the beginning of the movie, the other two men are, like, making fun of him as being like, oh, this city kid, he's not cut out for this. This The minute he comes back and is like, no, don't destroy the rainforest, they're going to be like, oh, this city kid, he isn't cut out for this. I know. Like, it's nothing has changed. This and It's accomplished absolutely nothing. Fifteen years later, it's hard in the way too seriously sense. It's hard to watch a movie with an ecological message 15 years later and not see it through the lens of... Paul, do you think it's been 15 years since 1992? (laughs) Yeah, roughly. (laughs) 25 years later, give or take. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah, 20-some years later. (laughs) You okay there? No, 20 some year, 25 years later, roughly 27 years later, whatever. Uh, it's hard to watch a movie like this and not say like a movie with an ecological message from 25 years ago. It's hard to watch it and not say this message failed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that too. Uh, it was urgent. At this time, the ecological situation was urgent. And this movie failed. And it needed to get its message across and didn't. And we didn't recognize all, certainly as a child, I didn't recognize how urgent it was. But looking back, we do. Yeah, exactly. And this movie needed to do better and it failed. (laughs) But I mean, how much are we really putting on the shoulders of an animated movie from 1992? Well, not enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> we should have put more on its shoulders. I'm saying, like, it's a part of a culture of yeah. the ecological message of the 90s failed. Yeah, it was all lip service. It was all lip service. And this is an ex- example of it being lip service for exactly the reasons that you've highlighted, that it's a magical problem and a magical solution that's very easy. And you walk out of this movie not feeling... uh called upon to do something but feeling that the problem has been resolved Mm -hmm. exactly exactly so what else could we take too seriously about this movie i this isn't so much a taking seriously as a feeling Mm -hmm. but i think it's a feeling that leads to too seriously things and that is that both zach and christian slater (laughs) 
I want to say his name's Tibbs. What is his name? I don't know. Bippo or something. They're both horrible. Yeah. Like, really. Absolutely really hate both of those characters. They're despicable characters, both of them. <laughs> wow. Like, there's nothing to like. If, from my perspective, there's nothing to like in either one of those characters. And it's especially with Zack, who is, like, a tool. Yeah, absolutely. Why would Krista have this romantic connection with him? He calls her a bodacious babe. It's like... <laughs> so, the the gender and sexuality in this movie is really bad. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. One of them is that Krista and, like, there's a trope of... Uh, women are magic Mm -hmm. that's complicatedly bad i don't really want to go into it at this point but it's dealing with that yeah and other than magical women there aren't any Mm -hmm. right that krista is the main character but still the smurfette yeah there's her grandmother and then that's it but then all of that aside the like there's this shoehorned compulsory romance that's far worse than usual because of how utterly unattractive in terms of personality the male lead is just in terms of personality (laughs) well i mean as a drawing who knows right (laughs) i just want to make clear that i'm talking he's a dreamy boy for the 90s (laughs) sure i can accept that as written but his character is has nothing to recommend him at all yeah exactly and so it's like this uh you have to have a love story you have to have a heterosexual love story and it diminishes her so much because how how terrible he is that like he's such a terrible character that to pair him with someone diminishes the person that pairs with him (laughs) you know absolutely and she has this, like, she has this relationship with Pips, Christian Slater's character. And it seems like that's got a romantic feel to it. And then she immediately goes off with this human. And then he's like, well, he becomes a big human again. And I don't really care about him anymore. Immediately falls into Pips' arms. Like, not in a necessarily romantic way, and guess a friendship way. But it was a really weird back and forth thing of, like... I guess what I need to, it doesn't matter if Pips is romantic. It's the like falling back on a man. Yeah. It just once again diminishes, like she spends the whole movie getting this like, you are important. You are, it's all about, you know, you and your self-worth. And then her entire self-worth depends on two men. So it really undermines itself. Yep. For sure. So let's go back again to the Australian Aboriginal art at the beginning. Yeah. Which visually was really cool. I didn't look up who made it and what, and whether it was an actual Aboriginal artist. artist. It did feel like it was a little bit this faux legend kind of a thing yeah i don't know if this is a real legend or not but either way it's it becomes a very fake thing of like oh this uh 
myth, even if it is a real myth, this myth that you have about someone being trapped in a tree is then like shoehorned into a shoehorned into a faux environmental message type of thing. I'd well, be, we continue to yeah strip your land. I'd be very, very surprised if, I mean, like maybe someone trapped in a tree, sure, but like Hexus. Yeah. I, without looking it up, I feel like there's no way that that's a, an authentic Aboriginal myth. Yeah. There's just no way. <laughs> and that comes back full circle to the American accents, because one of the things that the American accents in practice is uh, having a bunch of American accented people speaking for the land in Australia is colonialism. Mm-hmm. Levels of colonialism, right? Because mm-hmm. there are Americans who are speaking for Australia, and then when you have the little representation of Australia, it is Australian accents, which, wait, that is colonial Australian accents. Yep. That's not Aboriginal accents or representations of Aboriginals representing the land in Australia. So it's like layer upon layer. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. So I've done a tiny bit of research here, just like as we're speaking. And uh, it seems like, like Hexus and uh, that whole thing is definitely not uh, Aboriginal myth. However, the kind of grandmother figure in this is called Mimi, and mm-hmm. that is a fairy-like creature in for Indigenous Australians in Northern Australia. So, I and mean... It has to, she dies. Oh, yeah, and she dies. She sacrifices herself so that the American-accented <laughs> colonialist wow. figures can thrive. So there you go. <laughs> Well, well, is it good? Is it seriously good? I think it's medium good, I think. Or or medium in terms of goodness. It's uneven, right? Yep. The good things about it are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the bad exactly. things are pretty bad yep. in terms of just quality. Yeah. I, so I, I wouldn't call it a bad movie. No, me neither. And I think... I always resist, We've I've, I'm on record in this show as resisting the like, well, it was a different time. But in terms of like, uh, taste, <laughs> in terms of animation style and music style, that I'm very comfortable saying it was a different time. This is yeah. a movie of its time. It was better at the time than it is now uh, in terms of like the quality of the job everyone was doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I can recognize that. I think it's medium or medium good. What do you think? medium yeah i'm on the side of medium i'm on the side of medium too but i wanted to give indicate my willingness to be talked up but if you don't want to talk me up i'm happy with medium how about seriously um it's uh it's pretty bad i mean is it all the way to bad yeah yeah i'm calling it seriously bad because it has seriously good intentions that it utterly fails to live up to. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, I genuinely, I come back to what I said. Like, in terms of uh, race and gender, it's just bad without complication. Mm-hmm. 
In terms of its ecological message, I don't think it gets any points for it from me because no. of how it fails to make it. It fails to land it. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I'm I'm agree with you seriously bad. Yeah. Well, if you have a fondness in your heart for Fern Gully and want to tell us about it, we'd be happy to hear it. Um, or if you want to agree with us that uh, it really hasn't aged well, doesn't live up to the affection that it had at the time, if you've listened to it or if you've watched it recently, you can tell us about that too. You can do it on Twitter at WTScast, by email waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com, you can find us on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram. If you like what we do, please rate and review way too seriously and tell all your friends and tell everybody that we are good and seriously good. And if you want us to keep making podcasts or you want to be part of the... If you want to think of yourself as someone who makes this happen, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And I, you'd think after like 80 of these, I would have learned to prepare my outro before the moment when you say I'm Jan Moffat, but I never ever do. So, environmentalism, goodbye. <laughs>